Lecture Notes, Locke. Part 8, Locke's State of Nature. Locke was a younger contemporary of Hobbes. Like Hobbes, he agreed that the authority of the state doesn't come from God, but rather a social contract between ruler and subjects. However, Locke disagreed with Hobbes' pessimistic view of humanity. Hobbes thinks the state of nature is a state of miserable chaos, something we would want to escape as quickly as possible. Locke thought that the state of nature wouldn't be so terrible as all that. It would be, quote, tolerable but not convenient, end quote. One key reason for this difference between Locke and Hobbes is that Locke believed there are moral laws embedded into nature. Just like we sometimes talk of the laws of nature, by which we normally mean things like laws of physics, so Locke believed that there are moral laws of nature. Most importantly, Locke thinks that we have God-given natural rights, the right to life, liberty, and possession. However, if our rights are given to us by God and not the government, as Locke thinks, then the government cannot take away our rights. Rather, on a Lockean view, the state is formed in part in response to and in recognition of these natural rights in order to protect and secure them. However, even though in Locke's state of nature we would be ruled by natural laws and would have God-given rights, Locke thinks we would still prefer to leave the state of nature and form a government. For one, there might be controversy about how to understand the natural law in the state of nature, and the government can resolve these disputes more effectively than individual citizens or or actually, I should just say individuals because we would not have citizens in the state of nature. That's a pre-government state. Second, a neutral government is better suited to punish people who break natural laws than individual people who are prone to bias. Finally, some people might not be able to protect themselves against others trying to break the natural law, and the government could help protect those with less power. Thus, as with Hobbes, on Locke's view, the people freely consent to form a government follow its laws, and submit to punishment if those laws against natural rights are broken. However, on Locke's view, the state they form is a servant of the people's will and rights. And Locke argues if the government doesn't do its job, according to the social contract, its job, the people should rebel. This stands in stark opposition to Hobbes' view of absolute monarchy. Part B, Locke's political legacy. Locke is in many ways a founder of modern Anglo-American political philosophy read, or listen, to the following paragraph carefully. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Do you recognize those words? <laughs> Hopefully you at least recognized phrases of it. That paragraph is taken from the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. Now, I want you to go back and reread it or in my case, I'll reread it. I want you to re-listen. And this time, as you listen, ask yourself, where do you see or hear Lockean ideas at play? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, 
that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Okay, Locke's influence is all over the Declaration in the claim that we have unalienable rights prior to the existence of government, and so the government must respect and uphold those rights. The Declaration even states that the purpose of government is to protect those rights, and that government should be formed with the agreement or consent of those being governed. It's also a Lockean idea that when a government doesn't uphold the rights of its citizens, that the people can abolish the government and form a new one. Finally, the famous phrase, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, this too was inspired by Locke. Locke wrote that all men had rights to life, liberty, and property a generation before they were borrowed for the Declaration of Independence. And yes, I'm purposefully using gendered language here because infamously at the time of the Declaration's writing, the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were only offered to white landowning men. Okay, let's talk about that word property for a moment because this was a revolutionary idea in Locke's time, although it seems boring to us. In Locke's time, the land of England functionally belonged to the British king. But Locke argued that once you, quote, mix the soil with your labor, in other words, once you put your hands in the dirt and work the land yourself, then that land belongs to you, not to the king, and certainly not some other country or people. It was this line of thinking that led the British colonists in the New World, who, quote unquote, mixed American soil with their labor, to claim their land at that own. However, this was obviously a literally foreign concept to the indigenous Americans they encountered, already living on the land, who did not share Western ideas of land ownership. Part C, Locke on Knowledge. Locke wasn't just a political philosopher. He also wrote substantially about epistemology and personal identity, although for our purposes, we are going to mostly emphasize his political philosophy. Recall for a moment the distinction between rationalism and empiricism. Although it's not fair to say that every philosopher we've discussed up until this point has been a rationalist, certainly rationalists have received the bulk of our attention most recently, for instance, with Descartes. Locke, on the other hand, was one of the major empiricists in early modern philosophy. He argued that we know what the world is like because of our experiences. All knowledge can be traced back to an experience that is perceived through our senses. To you, this probably seems obvious, but in the history of Western philosophy, this idea is not obvious and not uncontroversial. The tabula rasa and theory of innate ideas. The idea of innate ideas is a rationalist view. It holds that certain ideas, principles, or knowledge aren't acquired through experience, but are built into the mind from or even before birth. Locke was very keen to reject this view. He explained that one of the reasons people mistakenly promote innate ideas is because there's universal agreement on certain things, and this must mean, well, we're just all born with this, these ideas innately. Locke says the argument from universal consent for innate ideas is inconclusive. Just because all mankind agrees on something, or I might say appears to agree on something, doesn't prove the ideas are innate. Additionally, there are some people who do not agree with those universal ideas. For instance, children or people with certain cognitive disabilities might not infer an idea that is supposedly universal and shown to us through rational demonstration. For Locke, individuals are a tabula rasa, that's a Latin phrase, which means a blank slate from birth. 
Or in another instance, Locke uses the metaphor of a dark closet to describe the human mind. Regardless, the point is supposed to be that the mind is like an empty container or blank sheet of paper and experience fills the container or writes on the paper. In other words, it's only through our interactions and experiences that we learn about the world. So first and foremost, Locke's ideas of people as a blank slate is an epistemological view about how we acquire knowledge through experience. However, it's also a view with political implications. It implies that all people are equal and have equal capacities. We are all born blank, saint, blank slates, and who's to say what will become of any one of us? So here too, we can see the influence of Locke on the founding fathers of the US. When Thomas Jefferson writes that all men are created equal, he is borrowing in part from John Locke's notion of the tabula rasa, 